Well, uh, it's, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, well, we talk about the CCP, we'll talk about the banning of Bitcoin, we'll talk about El Salvador and all kinds of cool stuff today. So uh, thank you very much, of course, for joining. And this is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain here with our, our good friends of the crypto community who are coming in to uh, talk me, uh, I think, off a cliff, off the edge of my uh, happiness and and thrill existence as, as in humanity. So uh, yeah, this is Stefan Molyneux. So we do this every now and then, not particularly scheduled in any way. It's a crypto roundtable, and um, we really buy it. We we just set it up to watch Herman's backdrop uh, because it's just really cool, and uh, it's that kind of green screen technology that just has us all in awe. It totally looks like a backdrop of a green screen. All right, so. I'll just uh, talk about me, <laughs> me, let's talk about me, yes, that's right. Um, so I try not to have too dysfunctional relationship with Bitcoin, but I'm not saying I'm succeeding at the moment, because it's just kind of annoying. You see, for most, at most times in my life, the news has not been uniformly bad, and there's always a sliver of hope, a sliver of God's radiant grace shining through the clouds that you can grab onto to ride your spirits up a little bit. But now COVID lockdown seemingly without end. Vaccine passports coming in uh, here in Canada. Only 19% of people are vax hesitant and news piling up about heart congestion and myocarditis and things that are happening to young boys' hearts. And <laughs> it's like, and, and Bitcoin still skirting the high 30s uh, in, in Canada, which is what, the low 30s or high 20s in the US. I can't remember the exchange rate is at the moment. So, uh, I'm I'm looking for the ray of sunshine. And of course, I know, I know I'm a big boy. I know that it doesn't have to always have a ray of sunshine. But I actually, I like one <laughs> once in a while. And, you know, I guess the only ray of sunshine is that it does seem appear from, to be pretty clear for the blockchain as a whole, that the long-term holders, the people who are holding on to Bitcoin long-term, are still accumulating. The people who are selling tend to be six-month minus short-term holders. So those who believe in the long-term value proposition of Bitcoin are still doing this thing. But that's kind of what we talked about last time. It's still the price, right? So we know it's a supply-demand thing, right? The supply of Bitcoin is limited. The supply of Bitcoin is diminishing. And the demand just is not there. Now, the demand seems to be going through a whole bunch of shocks from people who think that Elon Musk is some sort of oracle of Delphi, a future value, which he's not. He's a semi-statist hack who... Uh, did not exactly come from the poverty he claims to be and did not exactly have all the business success he claims to have and steadily sucks a regular diet of government cash. So uh, let's just say I'm not all in on uh, Elon Musk being the, uh, inter being the, the sort of business genius of the modern age. And so I guess people are writing that. And then, of course, um, uh, China, the Chinese Communist Party has done some semi-banning-y kind of thing in the realm of Bitcoin. And of course, what that means is that if you're on the inner circle, you can still trade it. If you can get a, a special license, license for trading Bitcoin, just as Satoshi intended, um, then you can still trade Bitcoin. Uh, but all it's done, of course, is it's driven the miners. The miners just packed up their rigs and they've gone to, Mal uh, to, to Malaysia, I assume. They've gone to a variety of other places. And uh, of course, the... The, the rewards for the Bitcoin miners goes up when the Bitcoin mining goes down. It adjusts, what, like every every two weeks or something like that. So there's no particular harshness in 
To me, if Bitcoin mining moves out of the realm of the Chinese Communist Party beyond their reach, uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, I think that's perfectly fine. So I, I think, you know, my particular guess, and, you know, obviously correct me uh, according to your views, hey, Landry, but my particular view is that the supply is diminishing because going into cold storage, going off the exchanges, but the demand is simply not there to bring the price up, which means people are unwisely not panicking yet, you know, given the amount of money printing that's going on on the planet at the moment, uh, people should be terrified, uh, given the fact that fiat currencies uh, always die a painful, you know, horrifying inflationary death should have people particularly concerned. The fact that uh, birth rates are down should have people concerned. The fact that uh, uh, people are quitting their jobs in droves to stay home and suck the giant milky teat of government cash from here to eternity should have people concerned. And the fact that El Salvador has now given Bitcoin legal tender status should have people excited. Yet, yet, the price continues to trundle along. Now, of course, it's still five times higher than it was uh, this time last year or even this time 10 months ago. But, you know, from 80K Canadian to 39 is a fairly significant drop. And um, just goes to remind everyone, I suppose, that value is subjective. And just because something has value to you, it may even have value objectively, doesn't mean that it will have enough value for people to buy it enough to buoy the price up. So, yeah, that's my little uh, intro I, I was, uh, yeah, so that's my little intro, which is, uh, it's just kind of annoying. I think we keep making the case. I think smart people are making the case. Inflation is certainly up. Inflation is certainly up. I mean, my, my wife comes back from the grocery store clutching her heart and fainting like a Victorian couch heroine who needs smelling salts because she saw a man's ankle. And uh, it's just, uh, why, why? Gas is going through the roof. Uh, government debt is going through the roof. Uh, the prices of everything is going through the roof. Although I think lumber is back a little bit better. Housing, housing is completely mental. Now they're saying, oh, you know, it'd be great if, if everyone in the West became a nation of renters. It's like you get your pod, you get to eat your bugs. And that's what we're living with at the moment. So, I don't know exactly why. Inflation, says somebody. I bought two steaks today for $46. What inflation? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's a bit of a mystery to me, other than the fact I assume, I assume that 99% of the population is pretty much economics illiterate, and they're just buying and selling based on signals, and they think that somehow Elon Musk and uh, the Chinese government can repeal the laws of mathematics or something like that. So let's see here. Somebody says, I've noticed the price of food going up. Taco meals used to cost me 20 bucks. A month ago, it was 35 bucks. A few days ago, it was 40 bucks. Yeah, what's that joke? I saw on the internet the other day where there's this question in a job interview. Somebody's got the half full glass of water. And uh, they, the, the, the hiring committee says to the potential employee, is that glass half full or half empty? The guy says, it's totally full. You're hired, it turns out to be like a... Lay's chip making company because you know you open the bag and it's like <laughs> barely half full and le shrinkflation is also a big deal as well right where they're there the, the price may not have gone up that much but the serving size has gone down right what used to be 150 grams is now 125 grams but the price may be the same so that shrinkflation is going on and i don't think that is particularly taken account into with the sort of cpi and um, all of that stuff so yeah uh the larger the modern economy is now becoming largely a house of cards 
of paying people uh, not to work. We do have, of course, um, uh, no, it's enough, enough for me, enough for me. So um, I guess we can go, uh, you know what, should we just make it a free-for-all? If, if you've got a yearning burning, don't forget to unmute, jump in, don't give me dead air to edit. Later, that's all I'm begging you, my friends. How, how are you all doing with uh, Bitcoin Planet or Crypto Planet at the moment? Well, in my particular case, I've actually been losing interest in Bitcoin Ethereum because I've been learning a lot about privacy coins, which have additional functionality. Essentially, they're data science proof. Because one of the big weaknesses of Bitcoin and such is that it's a public database, which means literally anyone can access it. So if you have Bitcoin and you're spending it, you know, people can use your activity and other people's activity to identify you and what you're spending your money on. And that's very dangerous. So what these piracy coins do is they still operate on the blockchain technology, but essentially uh, it's impossible to determine who has what. And the reason I'm so excited about it is because regular cryptocurrencies have the potential to kill government's cheat code of inflation. But from what I can see, privacy coins have the potential to kill the government's ability to tax. Because if they don't know what you have or you know where it is, it becomes not feasible for them to do it. So I think this is the best shot we have to achieve anarcho-capitalism in our lifetimes. I'd, and that's I'd why agree. I'm very excited about it. I'd agree wholeheartedly, man. So there's a guy that I just uh, started to do a project with. Um, on I found him on the Freeman server and I actually... He, for his help, I paid him in Pirate Chain, um, and it's super fast. And That's I got, a lot. and that was also some sort of reward for you know, like I kind of explained to him the whole thought behind it. It's just got a great model. I mean, Monero's great too, and they're all really good uh, prices right now. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. Yeah, Pirate Chain is the big one. They're the most secure uh, cryptocurrency on the market right now, and they're they are uh, making progress consistently, including. Other things like they're building their own operating system that has <laughs> the highest possible security and make sure that you can't get spied on by, you know, people like Microsoft. I like how Jared's name comes I, up there. You can't be spied on by Jared. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Are you at Porkfest, man? I am at Porkfest right now. It's uh, it, it was a torrential downpour, so I had to find and haggle for a place that I could potentially broadcast from. That's also why, like, nobody's out and about. Like, it was just... It was coming down pretty bad, but it did clear up. Just do you say, uh, I used to go to Porkfest quite regularly. Do you say hi to the people there? And uh, tell them that Porkfest is the safest place. Everyone the sa- come. It, it is the safest place in the world to leave your weed outside your tent. Like, that is, uh, that's one thing that's kind of cool about it. Oh, did we lose him? I'm across. Of course, the downside is the internet connectivity isn't so always the very best. Pretty nice. The truth about Jared's internet connectivity. Yeah, I, I think, I think he's done all needs Minecraft. to move a couple feet to the left or right. That's usually how this works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but well, you guys are too young, but we used to do this thing where you'd have to hold the aerial a certain way to get a certain channel, and if you moved, it would get all snowy. So somebody had to sacrifice themselves to be the ch- the the, uh, the rabbit ears holder on the TV back in the day. Did Steph say weed? I did. I did, of course. Pork fest. Yeah, it's so porcupine uh, festival, porcupine being a defensive animal, uh, so it's a non-aggression principle. 
And uh, yeah, it's it's fun. I used to go there and give speeches, and I got roasted there one year. That was a lot of fun. I actually had uh, once. I um, somebody signed me up to do stand up comedy, uh, and uh, I had about ten minutes to prepare, which was actually kind of it ended up being quite a quite a fun thing. All right, so um, let's I, wait. Go ahead, Jared. That's got to be me. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sorry about that. Well, you have her attention now. Yeah, no. All right, anybody else with a yearning burning? Let's wait for Jared to find... Uh, well, you can ask other people to stop using the internet in New Hampshire, and I'm sure you'll be fine. All right, let's see how, they, how we do without it. Yeah, go for it. Did you notice a tape measure in my box? Uh-huh. Jared's like minutes behind. <laughs> like what we're saying and what he's hearing and what we're hearing him say. This does remind me of the early days of the internet, of course. So okay, okay, Steph. Said. Yeah, sorry, I got. I do have a yearning burning. So okay, so Steph, like, because you're talking about uh, that people aren't uh, people aren't treating crypto the way it kind of should be treated, which is you know this important you know life raft, right? Life raft of. Uh, so, but what I kind of see a lot more is that people are treating it like a like a speculative asset. Like they 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 don't necessarily want to own it in three months or six months in a year. They're just in it for a short time to uh, you know because they see their friends are making money off of it, and then uh, so as as soon as the price you know stops flying upward, they they don't they they totally lose interest in it. And then and I, I think yeah. I, I think they might be some of the biggest enemies of crypto because I've seen plenty of people talk bad about crypto because that's what they see. They see a lot of the speculation stuff. And much like Stefan, I agree with him when he says he wants them to get the hell out. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, a, it's like a necessary stage that this has to go through. Like you, you have to go through the speculation stage. And I don't think we're even close to out of it yet. I think we're still probably... You know, like probably, I don't know, maybe half of its current value is, is just pure speculators who would drop it if they didn't think it would be up in six months or a year. Well, but now, do you I'm think, sorry, sure. hang on a sec. Do you think, do you think that yeah. those speculators, because the, the thing that's changed since we first started doing this thing, right, this beast, the thing that, that ch- that's changed is the fact that we have uh, many, many more institutions in the system now than we had before. So do you think that this sort of bumpy, uppy-downy stuff is happening because of, you know, like guys in their basement speculators? Or is it the kind of programs I used to code for back in the beginnings of my software days when I would code for buy-sell signals for a large corporate, like for a large trading company? Because, you know, like 95% of the trades that are done uh, in the stock market, for sure, I don't know what it is in crypto. They're just completely automated. They're just looking for buy-sell signals. They're they're looking for particular patterns. So I don't know if it's people in their basement buying and selling or if it's just like you got the big guys in there now and they're just looking to make, you know, three cents on the buck from the buy and sell and you're going to have this bouncing around on the bottom for a while. Yeah, well, it, I think it's definitely both, right? Like, so the fundamentals are getting stronger, but then there's still a big speculative component to it. So we're still going to see giant swings up and down based on just, it's like I like I posted it somewhere else earlier. It's like a flock of birds moving around. There's not really a reason for why it goes one way than the other. Uh, so the, the price kind of moves a little randomly 
that way. All right. Anybody else have any thoughts? I mean, feel free to share your emotional experiences as well. We are more than just meat and muscle and, and brain. Uh, we have the heart as well. It just, yeah, fine. I, I'm not mad at it or anything. It's just like, oh, come on, <laughs> you know, do something. I feel like this doctor, like the patient won't live and won't die. Anyway, sorry, go on. I'm not sure if this is like uh, really directly related to this point, but uh, I'm curious what you guys think about all this stuff going on with the cyber attacks and like how I think they could be very easily be used in a way to, I mean, it's already been done to discredit uh, crypto and kind of like you hear the word cyber attack and you hear the word like cryptocurrency. They almost, if you're just a random person who doesn't know anything about it, you're like, Oh no, I don't want to, I don't want anything to do with those criminals. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm not sure how cyber hacking is making all this stuff really happen. And I'm not sure what the, in game that is but it seems like it's definitely fishy do we have do we have any security experts on the call here because i maybe i'm totally wrong about this yeah good maybe i'm totally wrong about this <laughs> but like how on earth are people getting cyber hacked to this degree where their entire file systems are being encrypted like don't you have all these safeguards and firewalls and nobody can click on an exe in a file and nobody can unclick it like open up a zip file and run anything like how on earth are people getting hacks this bad i don't i don't quite understand it well i can't speak to those specific uh instances but i do know a lot of institutions have ridiculously outdated operating systems like a lot of hospitals are running like windows 2000 or some something absurd and so it's security is one of those things where people don't pay attention to it till it's too late something i think that's I was reading about how like they uh, there's like this ransom and like the city I live in, um, there was the meat plant that got hacked. And then also there's all these like shortages that they're saying there's a chain, a chain shortage. There's a meat shortage. There's a this shortage. And I think the high, the cyber thing um, was, is kind of almost a way to excuse the fact that these shortages are, are almost planned because of they want that scarcity mindset for, for all of us. I mean, the, the, the supply chains are getting seriously disrupted right now, but I don't know if the people who are there are really being hacked by the outside. If it's kind of like they're like letting it happen because, Hey, we need an excuse because we're not ready to handle this stuff. Maybe it's lack of workers. I know people are having a hard time because nobody wants to work anymore. Um, but I'm sure it's a few things. Somebody says here, the government is still running. Some parts of the government are still running windows XP. Wow. That's, uh, that's some ancient stuff, man. That's some ancient stuff. Um, sorry, we did have a security expert on here. I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. Like, how is it possible to lose your entire file system to encryption? Uh, I, I assume somebody sends what a bat, batch file or an exe file, and there's no quarantining, there's no scanning that just like roams around the network and does whatever the hell it wants. I mean, what is it like? Hillary Clinton's in charge of everyone's security. I just find this really quite baffling. But if anybody knows, like, let me know. You know, what's even worse, Stefan, I've heard a statistic that about half of people who get hit by ransomware get hit again. Oh, boy. And a surprising number of them never get their files back, even if they pay. Well, we do have a security expert here. Somebody was saying that Pirate Chain was the most secure ch- uh, coin on the on the planet. So wh- whoever that was, let's, let's, let's have it. <laughs> I will form a committee to identify that person. <laughs> I'll get to the bottom of it, I promise you. <laughs> Somebody who says here, too many people watching porn at work. Oh, I wonder if that's it. Like if they set up some website that uh, just grabs like, oh, here, download this file. And you get to see uh, somebody doing something unholy with a banana. Uh, I don't know. Could be any. But surely they have filters on all these work computers and, and all this kind of stuff. I just, I don't know. It just seems kind of strange. 
All right. Uh, if nobody has any answers to that, we will just put it on the great mystery mystery side of the world, but uh, or, or just a general slowdown of just people not getting uh, pretty pretty smart. Somebody says, here, I work in automation. A lot of the practical things I do need an open network. I'm sure the things that actually work fight security. Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Uh, all right. So any anyone got other thoughts or comments? Uh, otherwise, we can take some questions from the uh, audience. But yeah, whatever's on your mind, let's uh, let's get it out there. I just think that the uh, El Salvador news got a little bit uh, brushed past. Yeah, yeah, let's do El Salvador, man. I mean, uh, one thing the Bitcoin maximalists have been predicting for a long time is eventually adoption as a reserve currency for a country. And we're not quite there yet, but legal tender is a huge step in that direction. And if you look into the, I read the actual bill that uh, was put forward by by the government passed um, by a person that was in a very, very high majority. Um, and I don't know the whole political landscape in El Salvador. I'm trying to brush up, but it's very encouraging. Uh, it's a Bitcoin only. They didn't mention private trading, unfortunately, um, but uh, it's a Bitcoin only um, proposal. And uh, the main thrust of it is to actually get usable Lightning Network Bitcoin in the hands of as many vendors as possible. And and, and it's fortunately, it's compelling people to accept Bitcoin, but they can instantly convert it between US dollars, which El Salvador is a dollarized country. So people want dollars and now a lot of people are wanting Bitcoin, like in uh, some uh, small test areas like El Zante, people are preferring Bitcoin and it's in, you use know, I, I think perhaps the best use case for Bitcoins in the third world, I think it's something like only 20% of the world has access to the modern banking system. And so Ooh. a lot of, a lot of people in the third world are getting access to bank like features by using Bitcoin. That's amazing. Yeah. But the bad news I think is that there. You know, their politicians are smart. They know that, you know, the dollar is the biggest con in the world right now. Yep. And so they have an incentive to get on board because they want to maintain yeah. their purchase power for them and their people. America yeah. is has the opposite incentives. Well, yeah. sorry, we're, just we're go back to red sorry, just go back to red pill songs. The the government is seeding some Bitcoin to people, right? Like you don't aren't they no. seeding some oh there's not seeding any no. I thought there was like well, 150 doing, bucks or something a, that they were seeding out. They're providing a, a liquidity float of about $150 million. So if you want US dollars and you don't want someone's Bitcoin, they'll, they'll swap it out for you. So as a merchant, you're not forced with this Bitcoin you don't fully understand or want to hold. Um, and obviously in a developing country like that, people aren't generally holding large cash balances. The average person is surviving on a, on a much smaller uh, base of savings. But um, they have now an alternative to the US dollar. Because right now, uh, when the US prints money, um, you know, they're printing it and they're sending it to all the U.S. citizens and different dole and such like that. But if you're in a country that's dollarized like El Salvador or Panama or a myriad of other countries, you hear, you feel the effects of that inflation without getting any direct stimulus or any checks at all. So the incentive, like, um, like Seth was talking about, the incentive structure to adopt uh, an alternative or just an escape hatch is so huge. Um, and if another couple of countries end up adopting it, it's going to be very promising because we're going to be able to in real time compare, let's say, uh, Paraguay and El Salvador that adopted Bitcoin versus like, uh, I don't know, Colombia that didn't, for example. Right. And if there's more than one or two countries, uh, there's only so many countries that the, the USA could start problems with before it gets to be ridiculous uh, to like attack some peaceful democratic country just because they adopted Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah so, I was say, so hang on a sec. Sorry, let me just mention oh, something ahead. here Sorry. because so something that that's happened with El Salvador as well is like what is it? A third of their population 
has uh, fled to the U.S. So, you know, they're very much in danger of running out of tax cattle, right? And and uh, and the other thing, too, of course, is that a lot of the people who flee to the U.S., they may get jobs, they may end up on welfare, and then they will send their money to El Salvador. And, of course, the banking system takes a huge slice of things. Like in the Bitcoin world, we don't really think of transaction costs a huge amount, a sum, but not a huge amount. But the amount of money that gets sliced off when you're trying to send money from a U.S. bank all the way to El Salvador, like, what is it, like, by the time everything's said and done, it's like 25 or 30% of the money has been sucked up by the banking system. And so for them, I think going to a digital currency makes sense if they're getting a lot of their money from remittances. I would assume Mexico is the same way. So, In Mexico, so, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say something like uh, 20 to 30% of their GDP is remittances incoming to El Salvador. Yeah, and yeah. And in Mexico, the, the G, yeah. at least this was the case a year or two ago when I looked into it. In Mexico, the remittances income is larger for the country than the entire oil trade in Mexico, which is pretty considerable itself. I mean, and so that's one thing. Now, El Salvador, as you know, like was like the murder capital of the world. And then not too long ago, they got in there Bolsonaro. They got in there Trump. Or I don't know. I can't remember what his name is. But what happens, he's, he's just arrested the cartels. And he's like, just the, the murder rate has been cut, like the violent crime rate has been cut like 70% in a very short amount of time because it's just, it's the will to power, right? It's just, do you have the will to take on the cartels or to take on the violent crime gangs? He's done it. And so what they're doing is realizing that they're bleeding people left, right, and center and that they can't, if you've got a, a US dollar denominated remittance economy, uh, it's not going to work. It's, it's not going to, especially if the U.S. dollar goes goes tits up. So the reality, I think, is that it is a fantastic experiment. Uh, it's also going on, as we know, in Nigeria, where significant proportions of the population are using Bitcoin. Uh, somebody says here, Ecuadorian American here, when the dollar crashes, both my countries crash. Ecuador has been on the U.S. dollar for uh, 20 years. So, yeah, it, it is a really uh, nutty situation for them. And it is really... Um, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. The more, as, as Red Pill Song says, the more labs we have of people trying this, the more best practices can be established. Now, is it the case? You've read the the, um, the bill, right? Is it the case that you can pay your taxes in Bitcoin? You can pay property taxes in Bitcoin, and yep. so on. It's full legal tender, and, and all that that implies. So you can pay taxes. You're not you're char not charged capital gains on the conversion between U.S. dollars and Bitcoin, and vice versa. Um, and there is a, a one thing that there's been a little bit of pushback from the Bitcoin community is like the compulsion. You have to accept Bitcoin, um, but you were forced to essentially accept U.S. dollars prior to this anyway. So it's it, that is basically what a legal tender law is. Um, yeah, you so, can't say no. You can't. If somebody comes in with Bitcoin, you simply can't say no. Yeah. No, there is a, another kind of caveat to that, which is if you don't have the technological ability to do that, they're not going to hold you to that. So you, you're. You know, your seventy-five-year-old abuela that's selling bananas at the local mercado is not gonna, not gonna, you know, get rusted. But um, you know, it's a it's a pretty forward-thinking bill, and the people that uh, helped the president with it and had insight on it are true blue die in the die in this hill type Bitcoiners. Well, yeah, and it, it also it reminds me of what happened in Chile with the, what was called the Chicago Boys. Like old Milton Friedman's students went down to Chile during the time when they were fighting back and about to get swallowed up into socialism. Uh, and they went down and uh, they, they pushed back uh, the, the, the communists and uh, they, they privatized and, and they did pretty well for like 20, 30 years. Now, of course, they got a socialist back in because times are good, so we don't have to be economically astute anymore, uh, according to the theory. So, 
and you can so, do that yeah. with a country that's 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 small enough where you know everybody like it's a six million population country you can do that there and you can give it a good go and i think right now the majority leader has like something like like an insane amount of support 90 percent, something like that so everyone's behind him um the bitcoin thing i'm sure a lot of people are still scratching their heads at for sure with an iq average of like i don't know it's like 85 or something in el salvador it's not that high but um you know you've got a lot of hope entering the world when uh, you know, you couldn't save money before. You could never save money. Now you actually can. But, but this is the thing that blows my mind. Sorry to interrupt. This thing that blows my mind, which I think is so important, which is you don't have to understand Bitcoin to use it. Right. There's, there's two things that, that bother me. One is that everyone talks about Bitcoin and everyone thinks, well, man, I don't have $40,000. I can't buy a Bitcoin. It's like, no, come on, 100 million Satoshis, you can buy one for a fraction of a penny. It's nothing, right? It's nothing. So that's one thing. The other thing is that like, I have no idea, like when I tap the visa or do whatever it is with a bank card, I don't know what bips and burps are flying all over the universe and, and where they're landing and where they're going. It just plain works. I mean, I didn't even know how all of this stuff is floating around the ether fundamentally. It just works. So the fascinating thing about El Salvador is that people are just going to be like, oh, okay, uh, I guess I, you know, you get gifted some Bitcoin. You maybe make a little bit, bit of Bitcoin. Just go spend it. And, you know, you don't know what's going on. I mean, neither do I fundamentally. I mean, there's a blockchain I hear. I think it's probably more than a rumor. And so you've got this, you know, you just tap your phone and it works. And you tap your phone and you get paid and they'll just use it and just use Using it is going to break down a lot of the fearful superstition uh, about it, and and that I think is going to be really powerful. Yeah, and and also the the, the network effect that's going to pull into the country being the first, um, it's going to attract people. Like, let's say I don't know, you have a couple million bucks of Bitcoin, and you need a place to sell it without capital gains. Why wouldn't you go and give it a whirl and, and invest into El Salvador or Portugal? I think Portugal also doesn't tax capital gains on Bitcoin. All right, yearning burnings. Anybody else with thoughts about El Salvador? Well, it seems to me. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I, I think this is likely to set off a kind of a chain reaction, right? Because what the U.S. has done, because we we're the world's reserve currency and we're willing to blow up any country that tries to pull something to get off that. Uh, but this is something that the infrastructure is already built for Bitcoin. And so it's relatively easy for any country to say, hey, we're going to use it as legal tender. We can't blow up every country that does this. That, that's kind of a game changer. So right now, this is early on. This is very early. But there's a massive financial incentive for any country that understands economics to get off the dollar. And all the infrastructure is already built. They just need to get out of the way and let people use it without taxing them to hell or you know, sending them to prison for using it, right? And, and so... As the, because there's such a massive incentive, more and more people are going to do it, and that's going to put the U.S. in more uh, in, under more and more pressure, right? So I, I see this as kind of the first step in a snowball rolling down a hill, and I think it's going to have major impacts down the line. Does Does anyone have any guesses or or know of any countries that are looking into doing something similar to what El Salvador does? Who's next to the domino chain? Yeah, Par Paraguay's tabling a bill this coming week or two, uh, next month for sure. Wow. Uh, somebody has asked me to confirm that Flea Domain will be based in El Salvador. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Flea Domain is an imaginary community where we get out of the status system and go and, and live uh, someplace uh, uh, off, the, uh, off the grid. So Flea Domain, uh, which is where the rescue ship of helicopters are all apparently going to land. Uh, right now, it is, of course, entirely in theory. Uh, I will tell you this, though. 
Uh, Flea Domain will be based wherever it is. It will be based, man. Based. All right. Uh, and basted because I like I like my butter. Uh, so uh, as Panama, as somebody is saying, does anybody know uh, anything about Panama as well? Panama would make total sense. They're like an econ junkie stuff, right? I've heard rumors that too, but I don't know if it'll actually pass because I don't, I don't think it, the person proposing it is that influential. But, you know, who knows? It's anybody's game. Well, I assume that they're going to watch what's going to happen in El Salvador for a while. Yeah. It'd be really nice yeah. if somebody else uh, tagged along and there's two countries, but it'll be a lot less trickier to go and invade them for freedom. Yeah. And I would assume that it would be something along the lines of uh, bribe slash threat of the people at the top. But once it's already Im- imbe- embedded in legislation, it's going to be. Uh, uh, hard to hard to undo from the outside. It's also it's worth noting that they haven't um, completely dropped the dollar. They're still a dollarized country, right? So they're just they got one foot on the life raft and one foot on the Titanic, essentially. Right. Well, we could do that. Yeah. We, I mean, you you couldn't just toast toast the dollar. I mean, it's where people have got their savings. If you did a forced conversion, that would be that would be pretty rough. Yeah. All right. Think, Sorry. Go uh, ahead. Yeah. I also think that. Like, Stefan, recently you've been talking about how there's an asymmetry sometimes when it comes to breaking stuff, where you, you, it's easy to break a bone, it's hard to heal it, or it's easy to break an economy, and it's hard to you know get it going again. I kind of think there's an opposite asymmetry when it comes to Bitcoin. Once you get it out into the population and it starts being used, like, it's going to be very hard to try to stop that and pull that back in. It's kind of, once it's out, it's, it's not coming back. Well, okay, so I mean, this is this is the big the big question with regards to the the China thing, right? So, of course, what happens is people in the business world, if they hear China's banning something, they'll dump it because China is such such a huge marketplace. I mean, I remember back in the day, the year two thousand, I went I went from a fairly lengthy trip in Morocco to a fairly lengthy business trip in China with like one night in Toronto in between. So, I spent basically a month and a half not being able to read a sign anywhere <laughs> in the vicinity. And China was just emerging from communism back in the day. I remember going to the market and haggling for a cool leather jacket and other things that I wanted. And nobody spoke each other's language, but you had a calculator and they knew what the numbers were. So you just entered the calculator and you negotiate that way. It was really kind of cool. But it was such a huge market. And you, you hear all these entrepreneurs saying, well, China is such – if we could just get 1% of China's market. And it's like, yeah, but that's easier said than done, right? So the moment, I mean, did you guys see the the blinking hostage video from John Cena? Did you guys see that at all? That's like pitiful. Oh, such a tough guy. I'm not really a tough guy, but I do play one in the movies. Because he referred to Taiwan as a country. And I guess the, the, the Fast and the Furious, they need to be able to distribute it in China. And this is why art is getting so dumbed down and you don't have any Shakespeare anymore because everything's got to be for a universal audience and all of that. So... He, he he did, I guess, spend a couple of days perfecting his apology in perfect Cantonese and it just spouted it off. Why? Because if Fast and the Furious doesn't get to play in China, then, you know, the investors all lose their shirts. So China is just such a huge deal. But I've said, you know, from the very beginning of, of what I do in the public square that violence always achieves the end of its stated goal. You know, we, we had all this violence to to get rid of inequality in society. And now inequality is is much worse than it's ever been. In, in all of American history, in fact, in Western um, Western history as a whole. And so, you know, I mean, the, the, the violence involved in feminism and so on through, through state programs, which was supposed to produce very happy and fulfilled women, every single decade, uh, women get 
unhappier and unhappier. Like, violence always produced. I'll kidnap my girlfriend. She'll love me. It's like, no, no, no. It's like she'll hate you and, and want to chew your way, uh, at, chew her way out. So with China banning and sub subverting and and you know getting rid of minors and so on, it's like, okay, well then they just move elsewhere and they're not going to move back. It's like the, uh, the the white farmers in Zimbabwe. You know, you can chase them off the land, and you can chase them to Australia and England and America, and then you can say, "Oh, actually, you know, we're we're starving to death. Would you mind coming back?" And be like, "No, I got a whole new life here." And once the miners go, you know, are they going to come back? Probably not. So, to me, China banning stuff it takes away this largely spurious but still compelling environmental argument well you know we can't get behind bitcoin because it uses as much power as a small country all right all this crap that they talk about but so getting it out of china gets it out from under the grip of the ccp which you want sooner rather than later uh, it's not going to work that much anyway plus all of the people with means are just going to buy their way to get a license to continue to do it uh, it's just scaring people out who don't understand the fundamentals also what is it china's banned bitcoin like 28 times in the last couple of years i mean it just it's one of these repetitive things everybody who's new to the market freaks out but it's kind of kind of old news for everyone uh everyone else somebody says john john china's <laughs> oh that's pretty funny uh, the week of the spurious starring john cena John John China's apology was in Mandarin, which makes it worse. Cantonese is spoken in Hong Kong. Anyway, so, yeah, I, I think um, people sell on these rumors, but I think the fundamentals remain even more sound. To me, if the communists don't like it, uh, God, I think that's a gold star in my book of economics and virtue, but I guess a lot of people are like, oh, no, that's really bad, and, and so on. If somebody has mentioned here in the chat, um, what do we got here? Uh, where was it? Panama. Oh, yeah. So Panama, we got. Uh, oh, somebody. Tanzania. Was it Tanzania? Somebody. I think that was actually on Zoom here. Did Tanzania? Uh, are they also looking at it as well? Did somebody post that? Don't know. Yeah, somebody did, but they haven't elaborated on it. All right. Premature elaboration is kind of my name of the game, man. All right. Uh, anybody else? Herman, stay awake, man. Give us your thoughts. How are you doing in the Bitcoin world or the crypto world or the investment world as a whole? I just want to hug. I just came here for a, for a group hug from everybody. It's pretty much why I'm here. Um, <laughs> uh, I, don't have, I don't have many thoughts. I think the um, I'm actually launching a crypto project, which has been paused temporarily uh, by the people I'm working with. So it's been a wild ride. Anything you want to share? No, I think I'll share when it's time. I think I'll share when it's time. So basically, it's a it's a donation platform. Um, <gasps> Go on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Really? <laughs> really? How how abstractly interesting to me? Yeah, with a uh, significant use case potential um, that leverages DeFi and uh, NFTs and and all that good stuff. And we have um, we we hit a lot of our, our funding goals. And uh, you go through this uh, sort of launch pad um, roller coaster, and uh, since since everything it, everything dumped, uh, some of that's been put on hold. So that's all right. Uh, the um, the platform will be ready next month. Oh, that's well, keep me posted. Keep me posted. Definitely. Anything to do with the NFT world that doesn't involve Ethereum, I'm very very interested in. So uh, yeah, just uh, keep me posted about that. Excellent. <laughs> Somebody said here, which is yeah, a recurrent anonymous recurring donation service would be really nice. Um, China and India has the largest populations, both talking about banning. Well, yeah, but here's the thing too, right? So 
we all know the Pareto principle, right? The Pareto principle being that the square root of any productive group in a meritocracy produces half the value, right? So 10,000 people in a company, 100 of them are producing half the value. Uh, of that 100, 10 are producing half the value of that. So you get 10 people out of 10,000 producing fully 25% of the value. The same thing, of course, is even more true in the crypto universe. So if, uh, if China and India were to ban uh, Bitcoin, then uh, the people who were the very best and brightest in the Bitcoin universe would simply leave for other countries and leave those countries in the dust. And even if they had to smuggle their way out, because again, they could walk across the border with uh, the the phrase in their head and transfer all of their cash. So they will simply lose uh, all of the expertise, all of the economic gains, and then they'll try and lure those people back. They'll realize their mistake and it will simply, it will move people from a less free market environment who are really good at Bitcoin into a more free market environment, which will accelerate uh, Bitcoin even faster. So I don't have any particular fear about uh, about any of that. In fact, you I don't. Would... You, Go ahead. You don't ban. You don't ban Bitcoin. You just ban your population from using Bitcoin as government. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing too, right? Yeah, people think Bitcoin is being banned. It's like no. That's <laughs> like yeah. You can simply stop people from trading in it or try, try as best you can because apparently there's no such thing as VPNs. All right. Um, well, what concerns me about China is that over half the mining is done there. Not anymore. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hope the mining gets out of there so it can move to places that are more free. Which also, is kind of what you mining, want. Go ahead. Half the mining pools are roughly located in China, but that doesn't mean that every individual miner is actually in China. There's, there isn't as much uh, hard data on mining as you might think as, as presented in all those fun articles. There's a lot. I mean, you can mine anonymously and get anonymous Bitcoin and you could be in America and plug into a Chinese pool. Well, and did you hear what El Salvador is doing? Because El Salvador is now, and they did this relatively quickly, is they're using their volcanic heat, their volcanic activity to generate the electricity for uh, mining, uh, which, of course, the volcanic heat is, is, you know, it's natural, it's recurring and and so on. And it's going to release whatever's going to release into the atmosphere regardless. So volcano mining is, I don't know, it's just, I I mean, these times are uh, quite, quite exciting, but that's what they're, what they're heading Let's hear from Lucy, you know, what, says somebody. Oh. Sorry, Lucy, are you with us? Um, yes, I just joined, and this is the first time ever. We just watched today, again, the story of your enslavement, and I've recommended that to so many people through the years. So thank you for that work. Well, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, what's, uh, d- what's your history with, with crypto? Um, well, I just bought my first crypto, bought some Bitcoin, and then I changed it into R, uh, a Jeff Berwick suggestion. Um, I happen to be the vice chair of the Libertarian Party of the state of Indiana, and I've run for Senate two times. So I'm a little embarrassed to be this late in the crypto game because being an active Libertarian, I should have seen this a decade ago. Uh, But, you know, I'm slow in some areas. Right, right. Well, very, very good. So uh, the R R is referring to pirate chain, right? Pirate coin? Yeah, it is, yes. Pirate chain. I think think you need to roll it a little more, and a parrot would help. Uh, arr, something like that. Arr, and a peg leg. I have ten kids. I'm too. I'm too tired to roll anything. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I heard libertarians are quite adept at rolling things, but I may be talking about something entirely, uh, entirely <laughs> different. Could be. Definitely. Could be. Well, welcome. It's very nice Thanks to meet you. Thanks for the and, shout out. Yeah, and thank you very much for uh, referring the video. I, uh, I appreciate that as well. Um, all right. Other thoughts, questions, issues from the audience. If the USA talks about banning, that would be the biggest hit. USA has the highest GDP and biggest companies. So uh, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, right? But I would assume that if the USA talks about banning, that would be a problem because I think people could legitimately sue for evisceration of value. 
you know, like, I mean, if, if, uh, a pro- if a product has been certified as legal and, and Bitcoin has been certified as a legal thing, then just suddenly banning it, um, I think, would provoke a lot of lawsuits for people saying, wait, you just you told me it was legal. I invested. You're destroying that value. Uh, I'm going to sue the government in, in uh, return for, for, for that kind of loss of value. So, again, I would imagine there'd be something like that. But again, all that would happen is it would give people the excuse to go elsewhere where things are more crypto friendly and just set up things from there and uh you know people aren't people aren't just going to give up on bitcoin i mean they really will fight uh, really hard to to maintain its value yeah when i was doing my like initial research about bitcoin i sort of assumed that we, that the worst case that bitcoin would be able to survive the worst case scenario where if basically all of the governments of the world put maximum effort into uh, trying to stop it, that, that Bitcoin would be able to uh, do fine and succeed in that scenario. So every second that the, all the governments aren't doing that, I'm like, well, this is good. <laughs> but if they did, I, uh, I'd be like, okay, well, I already thought that it, Bitcoin could survive this. So I'm, I wouldn't even be worried if they did do that. Well, the other thing I assume with regards to China is that we know that top executives in the CCP, top politicians, uh, and I assume some of the super rich, that they all own Bitcoin, right? We, we know that because they're actually licensed to be able to do so. The ban on Bitcoin is only for the proletariat. It's not for the bourgeois, right? So my, my assumption, which I said the very first time we all got together, my assumption is simply this. Anybody who talks about banning Bitcoin, anybody who trash talks Bitcoin, is simply driving down the price to buy the dip. So when it comes to China, when they talk about it, I simply assume that there are a bunch of people at the top of the Chinese CCP. They want to buy a bunch of Bitcoin. They're going to talk about trashing it. They're going to ban it. They're going to whatever. And then they're going to buy a bunch of Bitcoin. And lo and behold, they're going to reverse their ban. It's happened a bunch of times before. And then the price is going to go up. And then the next time they want to buy some, they'll. I mean, there's just way too big a lever. And of course, they're communists, so it's not like you're going to rely on their respect for property rights or te- the integrity of the market. So I just assume all the trash talking comes out of a, uh, a desire to buy the dip. You don't think there's like a big crackdown coming? Like, I think there is. I think there's going to become a, a, a sort of existential, like a moment where they realize that, that crypto is, is, is an existential threat to government. Because I actually think... They're kind of similar systems. Like I know one's voluntary and private, one's, you know, through force, but they achieve the same thing, which is allocation of resources. You know, the government through force allocates resources and then Bitcoin, you know, through the blockchain uh, allocates resources. So they do the same thing just uh, by different means. And then one's immoral and one's moral, but still they're doing the same thing. So I think the government is going to have a moment where it realizes that um, it that um, that if crypto grows, then they have to decrease, like that the government has to decrease. And I know that's kind of like hard to think about because the government isn't uh, really a thing. It's a bunch of individuals making separate choices. But still, I, I have a hard time imagining that they're not going to uh, like react extremely negatively someday soon well i look we've mentioned this before so i'll keep it brief and nobody knows obviously right but but this is sort of my particular guess my particular guess is that if they believe that the fiat system can last they will try and take down bitcoin 
the moment they accept the basic fact that mathematically the, the fiat system cannot last, then they'll need another place to land, and then they will attack. They'll pretend to attack Bitcoin in order to get a hold of a bunch and buy a dip, and then they'll jump to the lifeboats. That's sort of my. But I'm sorry, I'm just enjoying Dom's uh, Dom's backdrop there, which is very, very vivid, and uh, reminds me that I'm a little peckish. Um, and I want to eat the candy at this point because that's his head too. So yeah, I, I assume there's going to be a faux attack on Bitcoin when the ruling elites realize that the Titanic is going to sink. And they need to get someplace else. They want to drive the price down, get a hold of a bunch, and then they'll embrace it fully and uh, maybe even abandon the, the, the central tenets of, of the fiat currency system and uh, just jump ship, I assume. so. Well, to Tim's point, if that's going to happen anywhere, I imagine it's going to be in the U.S. We yeah. have the most to lose by far. Everyone else has a lot to gain. So for them to ban it seems unlikely to me. Or to see even as an existential threat. Yeah, or just, uh, I always thought that, like, I just at the beginning, you know, I, I realized a lot of what I thought turned out not to be true. So just because I thought something originally doesn't mean anything. But I, I did remember that when I first was doing my initial kind of research, that I thought it was going to emerge in a third world country first, because it's just easier for them to adopt it somehow. And then it doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like all most crypto ownership is still happening in like industrialized Western countries. In the first well, I, I think that's an IQ, education, libertarian tradition, Austrian economics. There's a whole bunch of stuff I think that contributes to I that kind of stuff. I think it's just average net worth. Uh, ultimately, I think I mean, the average net worth of a Western individual is exponentially higher than a third world individual. But the average use case, especially for like smaller transactional things, for like uh, a Nigerian or a, or someone in El Salvador, it's it's quite compelling, especially with the Lightning Network, where it's basically free to use com compared to a twenty five percent remittance. Plus, you got to go to the uh, local Western Union, get beat up by the gang to get your American dollars out. Yeah, imagine being able to control your own money. Shocking. Somebody asked, "Is the Lightning Network up and running?" Yeah, send me money on it. I'm accepting money. So, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I know it was considered beta for a long time, but I think it's, uh, you know, w will it run the entire world's economy? I don't know, but it doesn't have to right yet. But I think it's working fine for the use case scenario that it's been deployed on, right? Yep. Well, I think that, the, just to go into it, like, I think the Lightning Network, uh, the problem is, is that there's a lot of different definitions for what that is. Like, the way that it was originally defined, it's not at all like that. So... So they, there's a thing that's working right now that they call the Lightning Network. And then if you think that that's the same thing that they were talking about in the Lightning Network white paper, then you'd be like, wow, that's amazing. But then when you look into the, what's actually happening, you go, oh, well, this is, this is way different than what I thought. So what, what, Where are the dis distinctions and differences there, Tim? I'm not, uh, I, I don't well, fully Yeah, I guess the way that they originally said is that you're going to be able to go from you're going to be able to do payment. Uh, you're going to you have all these payment channels to all these different nodes, and then it's not going to be very difficult to do a routing through the, a bunch of nodes to from one person to the other person. But then, when instead, what's happening is that there's a whole bunch of central nodes, and everyone connects to those. So, for example, the government can say, "Hey, we run a Lightning node. Everybody can connect to uh, our government Lightning node, and then we could, you could all pay each other through that." And then, yeah, that works fine. But the moment that the government says, uh, okay, well, you 
first of all, they're going to ask for KYC and AML on everybody's lightning channels. And then, but it, yeah, yeah I, I get what you're saying. Um, but you can route any which way and you don't have to route through a big node and they can't KYC. Like a, a regular Bitcoin transaction can create a lightning channel. Regard, there's no KYC involved. So there's a, a non-KYC way to interact with the with the Lightning Network quite easily. Uh, KYC for the uninitiated? Know your co- customer. That's uh, generally an identification process that you'll have to run through, take pictures of your face, passport, anus, whatever you got to do to please the authorities that be. I would, wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, so like uh, I would say, you're saying the Lightning Network has you know some level of functionality and I'm saying it has something lower and then you know maybe you're right. Yeah. But... You know, yeah, but I don't know if it matters. It's not that hard to use now, and and uh, it's way easier than it was, say, a couple of years ago. If you tried it a couple of years ago, it's actually come a long way. Yeah, and then you know maybe you know, maybe it is more evolved than I realize at the moment, or or maybe it soon will be. And but I'm not I'm not too worried about it. But so just the thing is though, the the definition of Lightning Network is a definitely a fluid thing that is changing a lot over I wouldn't agree. Uh, I think the, the basic like the basic technical um, thing that was proposed in terms of like basically I can pay uh, I can pay Tim and he can pay Steph in a trustless way. Uh, basically you could write a payment to each other through you. That basic concept, which is uh, the the real backbone of the technical side of the Lightning Network, that's that hasn't really changed. That's and that does work. Um, you know, the, the idea was like uh, that you wouldn't have too many. The, the hope was that you wouldn't have a lot of centralized nodes where everyone's just connecting to one guy. Um, and that's generally, you know, you could argue to the degree that that's true, but it's, it has, it's not just one central node and everyone connects to one guy. Uh, there, there is quite a bit more to it. You can actually visualize the Lightning Network. I'll try to find a link to it, but you can go on and physically kind of see it. And it's a huge cluster and it's pretty awesome. There's many ways to get to any node. Uh, but if you connect to the Lightning Network and you only connect to one guy, well, then you're, yeah, you're limited to just going through that one guy or girl. Well, you, you always have one channel, right? Like, so. No, no, you well, have multiple channels. You can open up like 35 channels with 35 different peers and they can all do the same. So picture this huge interconnected web. Or you can choose to connect to one person, and in which case, yeah, you're limiting yourself to only having to go through Bob. Okay. Somebody's asked, is fiat fixable? If USA raises rates, wouldn't that fix inflation worries and be bearish for Bitcoin? Who wants to take that one on? Judo it. Roll with it. Show it the Matrix moves. Survival case scenario for US fiat currency. They adopt a Bitcoin standard and they hard peg it to a certain amount of Bitcoin. I would save it. <laughs> no, but, you know, realistic political ones that could happen. <laughs> that could happen. It's it's not fixable. <laughs> it's I don't think we got any plan for how to do that. No, essentially, if they raise interest rates, we're screwed. If they lower interest rates, we're also screwed. Okay, give us, I, I give us, the, give us the case. Give us the case for both. How does it play out if they raise rates and lower rates? Well, if they raise the rates, the interest rate or because we're a debt-ridden economy, raising the interest rates is death for us because we're, we have so much insane debt. If we lower the interest rates, the hyperinflation kicks in because all that free money stimulates the spending, increases velocity, and so the, then the inflation kills us. But like, so over, 
I could be wrong about this, but I, I believe over half of U.S. dollars is owned by non-Americans. So that so even if no one in America adopts crypto, which isn't the case, but even if it did, it, even if just people around the world started adopting crypto and started trading their dollars in, that could cause hyperinflation here. So, like. I don't, so you would have to go around the world and prevent everyone from, you know, trading their dollars in. Well, and of yeah, course, also, uh, the, it, 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 sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say the, the inflation, it's monetary heroin and we are way past the point of addiction. It's like if we if we stop it, you know, the massive crash that would happen, there'd be riots in the streets, even more cities. We have capital cities burning to the ground as a result of that. So it's like we. We can't stop because it's political suicide to stop, but we can't continue because it, it, it will make the crash that much worse. The longer we kick this can down the road, the more it's going to hit us in the head. Well, but every individual politician has every incentive to keep kicking the can down the road. And this is another thing, too. Like for the first time, really, I think since the Great Depression, you have you know young, healthy, able people who are opting out of the workforce. And just deciding to live on on government money. And what that does, of course, is now half of the American population is either completely or significantly dependent upon the largesse of the government in order for their survival, in order to feed their kids. They're dependent upon it. And people have let their health go on the promise of Medicare and Medicaid and all of that. And they haven't saved because of their retirement and so on. So right now, any attempt to cut back on government spending i mean two things will happen one you'll get riots and two because it will disproportionately affect blacks and hispanics you will get cries of racism and it will just be hell on wheels and um i think a peaceful i mean this is the the, the good thing about bitcoin is it does give for the first time in human history a peaceful potential peaceful transition or at least less violent transition out of the collapse of a uh a fiat currency, which we've never seen before, um, which I, I think is actually a pretty nice thing. I kind of like ground Colombian coffee and, and not hunting squirrels for food. I mean, if you touch any of the interest rates, like in any significant way, asset prices completely crash, right? And like, you know, if you watch Jay Powell in the last Fed statement, there's a third, you know, there's an extra thing he's doing, which is monitoring asset prices. And I don't think he's going to take any action that's going to cause asset prices to crash. So, yeah, it's just to help uh, spell that out for people who are like raising interest rates to the asset price crash. The easiest way to understand this is say you buy a house, right? And you take out a mortgage and you can afford 2000 bucks a month, right? So, you know, at an interest rate of 5%, you can afford less total house price than you can at an interest rate of like 2%. So, Basically, what ends up happening is, you know, people's incomes in the economy are relatively fixed. So if you jack up the interest rates, you know, say you went up to five or seven percent to actually keep up with inflation, what would have to have to have what would have to happen to house prices or other asset prices in the United States in order for those numbers to still work? And so, so you're saying that it's like that the out. so you're saying it's like the opposite of what happened with student loans, where the government put all this money in and then prices go up we're here it's kind of the opposite exactly yes if you bring that interest rate up you get that asset price going down and it's like a it's, it's margin like if you go one percent is like you know a ten percent 
uh, effect on the asset price. So it's significantly leveraged. Um, so I don't, I don't think they can they can step this one back. And the easiest, if the patient's going to die either way, right? They can either do it through deflation or through inflation. Inflation is the politically sound, like they can just keep printing money and things. Well, just everybody blames works. the uh, everybody blames the capitalists then, right? That the price goes up at the grocery store, nobody gets mad at the Fed. They all get mad at the grocery store and and they take it out all on that. Lucy, you you wanted to mention something about real estate. Yeah, I've been a mortgage broker since 1996, um, and Dorn is my husband, so we're like in the same room. It's hilarious that we're doing this. Um, but what I've noticed is is exactly what the previous gentleman just said, is that your raw purchasing power on a mortgage is based on your gross monthly income, which is relatively fixed, especially with the problems we've had with inflation here in the U.S. And so by dropping the interest rates, you're able to artificially um, raise the amount that people can actually afford. So that 5% mortgage that he mentioned, you know, might be on a $200,000 house, but at a 3.25, like I've got a couple of customers closing this week, they might be able to afford 350. Mm. So this is very similar to what I saw in 2006, seven and eight in the run up to the last mortgage crisis. Um, and, And what I saw was, for example, in California, where you had people that could literally no income, no asset loans, just simply write down the amount that they made. So they could declare that they were making $250,000 a year as a manager at McDonald's and it would, and it would go through because their credit score was high. And what that did is that it is that artificially inflated the pricing because now you had $55,000 your people claiming to make 250, which allowed them to buy, you know, a $750,000 house. So then everybody was buying the houses for 750000 And then, of course, when the bubble popped and the foreclosures happened, the poor people were hurt the worst. And so I think that's what we're about to see is a collapse of pricing. Um, I'm looking at you know maybe the end of this year, maybe the beginning of next year. There's going to be some huge price corrections. So I've told my friends, hey, if you've got a lot of equity in your home, there's a lot of profit there, go ahead and sell now and then plan on renting for a year. Because what's going to happen is... One, in the U.S., if you've lived in that house for 24 out of the last 60 months, you can sell now capital gains tax-free up to $250,000 per person, $500,000 per couple. That's the IRS rules. So this may be the time where you can grab that capital gain and not pay any taxes on it before Biden changes something. Um, And rent for a year, because I fully expect because the COVID vaccine, a whole bunch of people are going to be dead between now and then, and there are going to be a lot of estate sales and lower prices. But that's just the optimist in me. Well, I will also mention, too, and a lot of people don't understand this if they don't know much about sort of the American market as far as that goes, because everyone's like, why why Americans so greedy for these big, giant McMansions and so on? And, you know, Lucy, correct me if I go astray at all here, but my understanding is that, I mean, the quality of American schools, the safety of American schools has a huge divergence. And in general, if you can get into a more expensive house, you can get into a better neighborhood, your kids can be in safer schools. So a lot of it has to do with chasing better education or at least safer education for your kids and not just like we need 12 bedrooms or anything like that people are just desperately trying to get to safer schools and that's one of the reasons that there's this leap towards these uh, these larger and more expensive houses that's been true in our family we stopped homeschooling when our oldest daughter reached ninth grade because she wanted to have the experience and the prom so we moved from a township in marion county where indianapolis is um, to a county a little bit further north so the struggle was you know, should we send our kids to a Christian school, you know, and live where we continue to live? Or do we spend $75,000 more on a house and basically get a public education system that has the same overall test rates 
as the local private schools. So we moved 30 miles away, spent $75,000 more, which on a monthly payment was less than sending those same kids to private school. And then we ended up with a better equity position as well. It's a highly Republican area where people protect the, the property values by keeping the public school test scores high. Let's see, I don't understand. How does the, why do you think that the housing market is going to crash soon, or at least correct? Like, I figure if I was uh, the government, I would just keep lowering interest rates. And I, I know we're pretty close to zero, but can't they go negative? I've heard that. I'll give, you, I'll give you a few things. And just as total disclosure, I turned 50 this year. So I've been through a few of these cycles since I've been a mortgage broker since 96. You know, I saw the savings and loan crisis. I saw the dot-com bubble. I saw, you know, the, the mortgage market collapse. So I've been through a few of these business cycles. And about every 10 years, we have a major reset. But you see, there's, there's a couple of problems that we have here in the U.S. One is the Federal Reserve and the other is the IRS. They work in tandem first to print too much money. And then the IRS's function, of course, is to pull the money out to hide the hyperinflation. Well, with Bitcoin added into the mix, what people are starting to see is they're starting to see this inflation really affect them. And as the housing prices get inflated and so many people get taken out of the market, um, the, the big institutional investors, I think one of them might be called BlackRock, they are literally going into these neighborhoods like the ones that we sold our house in two years ago, that $75,000 increase that I told you about, that meant a lot of equity when we went to sell. So what's happened is these big private investment firms understanding what's going on, they are now pay overpaying for properties. The reason that they're doing this is because they're grabbing up all the single family homes. And I, I think it's, it's actually more of a communist thing. You know, we talk about, you know, Marxism that, uh, you know, the government is going to own the housing that you live in, that you're going to rent everything. There's going to be no private property ownership. Klaus, uh, was it Klaus Schwab, the World Health Forum, Economic Forum, is that his name? Yeah. I always call him Satan Claus, but I think his name is actually, actually Klaus Schwab. <laughs> um, you know, he's talking about how you'll own nothing, but you'll be happy. And so if you don't own it, who is going to own it? So I see all of these properties being bought up now with the fake, with the fake money as just a way to take private property ownership away from people. For the middle class, of course, that's absolutely devastating because what we've always done, being, being in the middle class ourselves, is we've always bought property, fixed it up and sold it, bought it, held it as a rental and sold it, um, or you know, held it as a personal property to avoid the capital gains tax and then selling it. So the main engine that we have for wealth in our family, um, is about to be taken away. And once that supply has been taken up by these big institutional investors, what does that mean? It's like when Walmart comes into a small town and they wipe out all the local businesses by selling under market, then all of a sudden when all the local businesses are gone, they jack it up. So mm -hmm. we're going to see some really interesting things happen in the housing market. What I personally expect, and this is just me being me, is that I expect that there's going to be a lot of people that took the COVID vaccine and are, are going to die, just like all the ferrets died in the experiment. And I think there's actually going to become more housing available, and that's why I expect prices to fall. So I don't know. You got to layer. You got to layer a couple of conspiracy theories on top of there to get to where I'm at. Um, but it's it's truly based on 30 years of being in these markets. Well, yeah, and, and uh, this is also happening just by the by. Uh, a lot of the land along the southern border, which is basically undefensible now that Biden's not taking any action on the uh, mass migration that's occurring from, from Mexico, uh, a lot of uh, uh, the ranchers, a lot of the people who own the, the border land are 
selling. And a lot of companies are swooping in. A lot of them are Chinese-fronted companies or Chinese-backed companies. So, yeah, it could be pretty significant that China ends up owning significant portions of the U.S. border. Uh, My best advice for survive. people... Sorry, go ahead. Um, no, thank you for letting me interrupt. My best advice for people is to find places where you can get farmland. Um, because if you watch, you know, Christian with Ice Age Farmer, you start to understand where, you know, the supply chain is breaking down, food's going to be an issue. So if you don't already have a retreat for your family, check out home prices in Indiana. I mean, you can literally get like 40 acres in a 2,000 square foot house for $400,000 in Indiana. And, you know, something like, you know, our current house is three acres, 2,000 square feet. It's only, you know, 160,000. So most people moving from the coast, yeah, in Indiana, and we're in Southern Indiana, um, which is good. You know, it gives you a five or six growing zone on the USDA which is a little bit better than other places. Um, but yeah, I would, I would highly recommend, if not Indiana, looking at you know rural Idaho. Well, maybe not Idaho. That's too popular. But maybe rural Iowa, rural Missouri, um, rural Arkansas. The prices are still pretty cheap. And in the U.S. mortgage market, you can buy a second home with only 5% down if it's a single-family residence. You can buy you know, a duplex or a triplex, which is a you know, real rare out in the country. But you can get those for fifteen or twenty percent down. But you can literally get, you know, a three hundred thousand dollars house with only fifteen thousand dollars in your pocket. You know, rent it out to somebody else if you need to until you're ready to move into it. But you've got to have some sort of zombie apocalypse retreat for what's coming, or you're so, going to die. Yeah, sorry, Lucy, just just to back up crash. on the zombie apocalypse thing, uh, because for those of you who don't know. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, Lucy, obviously, correct me where I've gone astray. But for those of you who don't know what Lucy is referring to uh, with regards to the animal experiments, and I may butcher this, so I'll just do it really briefly and then fill in the gaps where you see fit. Uh, one of the reasons why coronavirus, coronavirus vaccines have not been developed is they've obviously been trying to develop them for many years, many decades, in fact. But what happens, or at least has happened in the past is that you develop these kinds of vaccines and you inject them into ferrets, you inject them into other mammals that are close to, to humans, at least in terms of immune response. And then what happens is when they encounter a sort of natural coronavirus in the wild, their immune systems go uh, pretty uh, uh, ape crap and, and end up attacking yes. their own organs. Uh, did I get that roughly right? Just uh, I don't want you to just blow past that because some people may not know that, that oh, history. Oh, yeah, I have a tendency to, to just do that so they may not know. Um, if they go to BitChute or they go to Odyssey or, you know, maybe even YouTube, there's a Dark Horse podcast with a PhD evolutionary biologist. I think his name is Brett Weinstein or Weinstein. And it's one T. Don't get confused. It's one T, Brett, Brett with one T. But yeah, go ahead. Oh, so you, so you know him. So he, oh, yeah. yeah, they just did a three hour thing that I've, I've actually been watching today. And uh, it's, un, it's absolutely insane, the information that's there. I'm very thankful we are a non-vaccinating family. None of our 10 kids have had even one vaccine. Most of them have been born with midwives and at home. So, you know, we've had this more natural lifestyle for 30 years. But the people that, you know, that have believed the mainstream media, that have believed that their doctors have their best interest at heart, as opposed to just being pharmaceutical salesmen, they don't know what they're about to get hit with. And just today on Twitter, um, T. Baragis, I think is the lady's name. She disclosed that, you know, she's pro-vaccine, but her 13-year-old nephew just died three days after his second COVID vaccine. So oh, we're this seeing is, this a- is, Sorry to interrupt. This is the woman who then said to someone else, oh, yeah, still get your kid vaccinated. Just watch their heart. <laughs> like, oh, my God, what yeah, does it take? What I empirical know. evidence? Uh, nothing, because the brainwashing is just uh, is just too insane. Yeah. And and also, I think a lot of, you know, I won't say a lot of it, but I think some people on on that situation, they're saying, yeah, but go get the vaccine anyway, knowing full well they wouldn't do it themselves, simply because they don't want to be attacked and have that council culture hit them. 
Mm. I've had cancel culture hit me lots of times because I'm a libertarian and I'm a public figure and I run for office. I'm a lightning rod for that sort of controversy. I just don't give to you know what. I, uh, I've heard about this cancel culture. One day I may encounter it myself, but uh, I remain, I, I I remain optimistic. I, <laughs> I think they're trying to cancel you. You're too smart. You well, but here's the funny thing, too. I mean, it, it does sort of strike me that you have this, you know, potentially dangerous scenario at the same time that they're really jacking up the inheritance tax. It's like, hmm, yes. if there's something related between these these things, possibly. I know we're drifting a little, but it's very, yeah. very, uh, very it's interesting. All, it's all interrelated, and we know what the end game is, right? I mean, does everybody on this call, you already know what the Georgia Guidestones are? They always publish everything in various forms before they do it. So it's no mystery. Yeah, and and you have entire books written saying, you know, it'd be great if the world population was just a smidge less than it is right now. Uh, and, and by a smidge, I mean quite a lot. And uh, that's... Uh, yeah, it's not a conspiracy theory when they have openly published. <laughs> yeah, that's the weird thing, right? Like, like I talk about how the communists said a hundred years ago they want to uh, uh, do mass migration, uh, import different races into Western countries, and then uh, race bait everybody into civil war, then take over. Like that. That's been a public. Like they publish it. It's not even subtle. You know, we're going to call anyone who disagrees with us a Nazi uh, because projection. And uh, yeah, so it's not a conspiracy it's theory so if you can point to the plan. Was... It's like saying oh that the gosh. menu at your local restaurant is a conspiracy theory when it's printed and on your table right there. <laughs> yeah, because the Brussels sprouts lobby has. It's just you know. a conspiracy theory that McDonald's serves McDonald's food. It's like, no, you go to McDonald's, <laughs> ask them for the McDonald's food, they'll give you a menu. No, it's a conspiracy. I don't know. It's a conspiracy oh if gosh. there's not proof and so if there's not a conf if there's a confession, you don't need a trial. Anyway, sorry. No, I love that. But you know what you just said actually plays into something that I've been telling people a lot, and that is that um, you know the Chinese communists have done exactly what you said, and they plan on doing worse and taking over this country. So, what if you could kill you know thirty percent of the population with the COVID vaccine? What does that leave open? That leaves open resources. It leaves open empty office buildings. People are no longer working at it. Leaves open housing. I can tell you the community that we used to live in, which is a really nice suburb. It's so nice. It has an Ikea there, if that tells you anything, in central Indiana, the only Ikea. Um, but the, the investors that are coming in, the investors that bought our house were from China. I have two friends in that area that rent from, yeah, from Chinese nationals. So uh, you know they're going to come in and they're going to buy all that up. And when you have a vacuum, nature abhors a vacuum. So what are we going to do when a third of the population is gone? We're going to fill this all back up, probably with Chinese. Well, and of That's course, uh, the, uh, uh, the U.S. Yeah. Army will be too busy chasing people in Afghanistan and arguing about gender pronouns <laughs> to actually defend America in any way, shape, or form. So that, exactly. that's good to know. One of the uh, so, so Lizzie, you, you've, you've suggested that 30% of the people who take the vaccine may die. Uh, how oh, certain easily. are you on that particular figure? Um, I'm certain enough that I'd be willing to bet the contents of my bank account on it. And I think that it'll be happening within 180 days of their second their second vaccine. So within six months. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now it won't be admitted to. It will be all blamed on the new variant. And predictably, people like me that don't get vaccinated will be the ones blamed. You see, if we had only gotten vaccinated, then the new variant wouldn't have gotten wouldn't have taken hold, and uh, nobody would be dying. But you know, it's those evil unvaccinated people that we just can't convince or bribe enough to go get poisoned. That that'll you know will be the scapegoats. And I thought COVID murdering people in old age homes was bold. Uh, yeah. This, this, this I, is a step above that, I would say. Yeah, this is, this is insidious. And it's, um, for me, it's spiritual warfare. I take it up a notch. And um, I don't know. 
this is this is a great show. Thanks for listening to me blabble. No, no, it's uh, it's very interesting, and and it's actually quite related to crypto as well in many ways because uh, the, if if there's a loss of taxpayers and so on, and and the good news, of course, is that you know we'll know in in six months. Uh, I you know I. I don't have enough expertise to evaluate these claims, uh, but I'm certainly willing to, uh, to to wait and see what what data comes in uh, over time. And uh, I've not known anyone who's died of COVID, but I sure know a couple of people who died pretty pretty quickly after the uh, the jab, uh, and that certainly does give me some pause. All right, let's wrestle ourselves back to to crypto. If people have questions or comments, there's a question about whether when all these people die, if crypto will go up. But if they lose their wallet because they're dead, there will be an unchanged effect on Bitcoin, right? That's interesting. Yeah, but if no no one seizes the wallets, though, like if people die and no one can access the wallet, that would be a deflationary force, wouldn't it? Yeah. Make crypto even more valuable. Well, it's what Satoshi said back in the day. Like if you lose your cryptos, consider that a benevolent donation to everybody else's crypto value. Uh, you've just you've just upped everybody else's by reducing supply. So you're a very very kind person. I think uh, I've certainly contributed in my own way from time to time. But <laughs> so all right. Any any other questions or comments? I, I did have one more economics question. Like so, because uh, MK, you were saying how the asset prices rising is like a government program. So the government is like taking it on as their responsibility to make the stock market and real estate just go up forever. And then the one tool that they, they use immigration a lot. And then, uh, but another tool that they have is they lower the interest rates. And then the problem I think that they have right now is that it's, it's basically like basically zero. And then, so, but I've heard people speculate that they could go below zero and take it negative. And, but, and, and then that's happened a little bit in like, I think in Germany and Japan, but I, I was wondering, you like, could do that before crypto, was that you could do that before crypto? Like they could put go to negative rates, but the problem is everyone's onto the game, right? And it works if like you've got all these central banks that are all printing. It's like everyone jumps out of a plane, and you're all like skydiving together. Well, the other guy is like ten feet below you, but you're both plummeting to zero, right? So the problem is they keep going, but when you know what inflation is, like people aren't dumb, they eventually figure out, hey, my food prices are going up 10% a year, right? I could borrow money at 2%, but you know, this is like, it just, the math doesn't work out after you get to a certain point. And once you see an asset that doesn't have this kind of built-in feature of theft, you know, you're always comparing it to that now. And it's like, you know, you see how trash it is. So I don't, I don't think they can do negative rates in the United States. Hey, that worked in Europe, I think, but I don't think it would work in the U.S. Uh, a, a third tool to the toolbox is they print money and buy assets with it. So that's that's another thing that's not as overt as manipulating interest rates, but uh, is still that same propping up of the economy. Yeah. Also, the more people you can get dependent on the government, the more they're going to be invested in fiat currency, right? I mean, so all the people on welfare that doesn't come, you can't get welfare. You can get charity, from fiat, uh, sorry, you can get charity from crypto, but you cannot get the welfare state from crypto. You can't get mass migration from crypto. You can't get the warfare uh, military industrial complex from crypto. You can't get UBI from crypto. You can't get unemployment insurance from crypto. You can't get pillaging the next generation transferred to the boomers' retirement 
uh, crack from from crypto. And so, so many people believe, and I don't know how much it's right, it's just an existential question, they absolutely, completely and totally believe that they need the government to survive, to feed their kids, to to get their insulin, to, to whatever, like whatever healthcare they need to get their hip replacements. And so it that that is a potent force. And the good news is that they probably won't figure out the crypto thing until it's too late. But they really are addicted to um, – we have multi-generations of humanity that have adapted themselves almost biologically. They've adapted themselves to fiat currency and government redistribution. Uh, crypto comes along and, you know, I'm a generous person. I, I like charities. I, I help people out. And, and I think it's wonderful, but I don't like a gun to my head in the process. You know, I, I, I like eating fish, but I don't like eating fish when someone's got a gun to my head. Uh, and I, I like tap dancing. doesn't mean I'm going to you, – you get the point, right? So uh, that, that entire contingent of people, when crypto starts to come along, they're like, well, can I vote myself free crypto? Uh, no. Oh, uh, I don't like it to the point of burning down a neighborhood. That's going to be uh, a real challenge. Now, of course, if Lucy's correct and the people who talk about uh, the, the, the effects of the vax, if they're correct, uh, there may be less to worry about, but there'll be other things to worry about in, in that scenario anyway. And, and of course, a, a pretty horrifying uh, loss, of, loss of life. So, Yeah, the government is, what, giving out $3,000 per kid annually? Oh, yeah, no, people getting 500 bucks a week? Just straight up, this is why, you know, there's people in the chat and people I've talked to, entrepreneurs and so on, like they can't, they can't hire anyone for love or money. Like there's just people, are, hey, my restaurant can open up again. It's like, yeah, but nobody wants to come and work for you because you'd much rather stay home. You know, most of us, most of us have jobs that we like. And, and, but most of us, you know, I don't think there's too many silver spoon people in the conversation here. Most people, we've had those jobs where it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, like I, I love Fridays. I hate Mondays. You know, those jobs where you just get up and it's it's either a grind or a drag or boring or you're surrounded by idiots or you've got difficult customers or unpleasant bosses because, you know, all the decent bosses move up pretty quickly. You know, the, only the crappy bosses run the minimum wage surfs. And, uh, you know, if we have, you know, I mean, if, if, I, if I would do this for, for nothing, you know, I, I love these conversations, love meeting everyone and chatting with everyone. But for most people, like you give them an out to not work and they're like, oh, praise, praise the Lord and, and pass the fiat. They're, they're ecstatic about it. And that's, you know, a vast majority of, of the population, I mean, uh, would, would love to to quit. I asked this. I go to a restaurant and, you know, hey, if you won the lottery, oh man, I'd be right in there telling this guy where to go and I'd, I'd go to Aruba or whatever it is. They're like, they're just it, it, out. Just get right out, right? And so, once the transition to fiat, I mean, that politically, that's pretty, sorry, a transition from fiat to crypto, whatever it's going to be, that's uh, pretty rough, man. Uh, it's pretty rough. Although, although, of course, being addicted to blood money to pillaged, transferred cash from the unborn. I mean, that's a bad addiction, man. But not everybody gets cured of their addiction. Sometimes people don't don't make it in that that transition, right? So uh, it, it is incredibly healthy for people to not get be able to vote for free stuff. But once they realize that gig is up, man, there's going to be some significant emotional and physical blowback, I think. Yeah, I think the best case scenario is what they're going to do is they're just going to keep inflating at this rate where, yeah, it says, you know, 2% inflation, but it's really more like seven, eight, nine. And you just do that for a couple decades. And really what ends up happening is you just take the money from the stupid savers, right? The people that 
you know, oh, I'm investing in my 401k and it's in diversified mutual funds. It's like, well, no, it's just being, you know, evaporated. So it's really, it's, it is, it's a tax on the boomers, right? The boomers that don't know any better. So. Well, the boomers are tax on everyone. So I'm not sure I'm (laughs) too upset about all of that because I'm one year shy of being a boomer. So I can completely spit over that wall and feel completely, uh, completely justified. No, and I've said this before, like it's a K-shaped economic economics in the future. It's Brazil style, right? So you get, you get people who've got crypto, people who've got real estate, people who've got gold, people who've got fixed assets that are limited in scope and value are limited in scope and therefore are more certain in value. And everyone else gets like, you know, paper toilet currency UBI, which they can buy a diminishing amount with. And hopefully they'll just decide to have fewer kids and the problem tapers off over time. I don't like it. I don't, you know, I've been fighting for 30 plus years to avoid it, but it looks like that's the way things are going to go. And we go back to the aristocracy and the serfs. We go back to the senators and the, uh, the, the proletariat in ancient Rome, you know, with the exception that Bitcoin is pretty moral. But yeah, I, I think it's, you know, a limited value currency, uh, sorry, limited value non-fiat currency wealth, whether it's real estate, crypto or gold or something like that, fixed assets. For the elites and everybody else gets diminishing crypto and UBI, and uh, it's it's pretty bad. All right, let's see if we've got any. Uh, feel free to throw in with your comments uh, or questions. Uh, somebody asked, is there anything that could drive a true fail in in crypto, like goes back in, in, in Bitcoin, go back down to 100? I don't think so. I think there's too many people invested in it at the moment. But again, uh, nobody can tell the future for sure. Yeah, if, if it can fail, we'll find out. <laughs> oh, yeah. But other than that, I don't think there's any way to know. Well, compared to what, right? This is, you know, the fundamental question of philosophy. Is that all philosophy professor? Somebody said, well, how's your wife? He said, compared to what? You know, it's, it's a good <laughs> question, right? It's a fair, fair question. And uh, if, if you think that there's a risk-free scenario at any time in life, you're deluded, right? You're absolutely, absolutely wrong about that. It is not a possibility there's no risk-free scenario so what you have to do is you say well okay there's risk in crypto but compared to what compared to what crisp uh, crypto has a future uh, uh, crypto has the efficiency of digital with the scarcity of a fixed resource and that is i mean about the best vector for for stability and growth and all of that so uh, there is there, there there is no risk-free scenario uh, yeah, at it, the moment yeah or i just like my uh my base argument for why I think it's going to be successful is just because it's so amazing. Like when you learn about how like uh, photosynthesis works or, you know, how light or fusion happens in the, in the sun, you're just like, this is incredible. And then that's what the feeling I get when I learn about how the blockchain works and how mining works. I'm like, there's just no way something this incredible doesn't work and become the future. Right. Yeah, really, it's, it's the printing press of our time. Absolutely, it's the printing press, the aqueduct. It's like they mentioned a gunpowder for twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it, like alien technology. Like it just came down from. It, it's the yeah. best technology with the best communities. You know, that's it. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be successful in one way or another. All right. Do we think it's gonna be the most significant technology for the next thousand years or next hundred years? <laughs> Certainly, hundred. Uh, um, yeah. Now, uh, do you guys, uh, I've got a, um, um, a listener call in a little bit, so I'm going to have to jump off soon. Uh, is there anybody who wants to go out on prediction land 
on Prediction Peninsula and see what kind of uh, ground is under their feet. Uh, feel free to have this quoted back to you in mocking asides from now until the day your great-grandchildren go into the ground. Uh, but uh, if there's anybody who wants to go, uh, you know, price, uh, countries that are going to adopt it, uh, value, spread, anybody. I'll, I'll give it a go real quick. Yep. So... I don't know how sure I am of this, but I am concerned about China taking down and uh, taking all these rigs. That they might try some sort of attack on actually taking over the blockchain, at least a enough of it that would throw the currency into a devaluation. If they could show that there's weaknesses in the blockchain itself by taking over enough mining rigs, it could possibly skew the whole price to the point where half the world or at least a billion people in China have one blockchain and there's another blockchain going over there. They separate it for a month. How do you rectify all those transactions? That's a lot of words to give a price prediction. Uh, no, no, but hang on. So do you, do you want to break that down a little bit more, what you mean by sort of like a, a fork and, and, and what that means and, and how that would play out? This is to you, Nick. Oh, to my understanding, if... Um, so if uh, China just sat there and said they're going to crack down, so they take over all these mining rigs, if they find some sort of weakness in reporting the blockchain and they get over 51% of the voting power right, in their own local area, they shut down the internet to the rest, they then create their own blockchain within their section of the world, let it run for a month or two, then open it back up, how do you rectify all of the missing transactions, the difference, especially if they find a weakness where they're taking over currency in different countries through their own blockchain and using it, but then once it's reconnected, that would cause a huge issue, wouldn't it? There's some technical kind of um, inaccuracies to that scenario. Um, so basically, the if we're going to talk about the chain, there's only one chain. We're all going to agree on that one chain. That's how Bitcoin consensus works. So you're either going to have China, China coin is the biggest and powerful. It's going to have 51% or freedom chain or whatever you want to call it. So it, if they start building their own private thing and hiding it, they have to get ahead of the other chain and then swap it at the end. So they would actually, there wouldn't be like, which, which one are we going to choose? It would just be like, this is the one. There's only going to be one unless they fork off and change it, in which case no one's going to go with them. But it's like hijacking a plane. You don't get two planes, right? Yes. Yeah, Totally. That's a great analogy. All right. Even if they, even if by some miracle they managed to pull that off, all they would do is make everyone go to other cryptocurrency projects. They would just, they would spend trillions of dollars acquiring this massive asset only to destroy its value. Or yep. a hard fork. But that's what they people... could do is they can destroy it. No, you just hard fork. We've already been through this with Bitcoin Cash, right? We now have two. <laughs> so. Bitcoin network is the most massive computing network on the planet. This is not something that they'll be able to just do. You can't just will that kind of computing power into existence. <laughs> well, and I remember this this came up way back in the day uh, when I was at a Bitcoin conference and I, I watched Antonio Antonopoulos uh, go through this, oh, it could hijack and, and, and they spend trillions of dollars and everybody's like, okay, we just take it back and, and, and you, you got 10 minutes of control of the blockchain for a billion dollars, like who cares, right? It doesn't matter. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, I mean, that was just a long time ago, but I'm pretty sure he's, he's certain enough to, to, to hang on to that. So, and that uh, thesis that he presents in that, um, video is even 
10, 10, 100 X more true. Now there's way more computing power. It's way more decentralized than it was back when he said that. Um, so, I mean, all this body power moving out of China currently is, is only further decentralizing and further reducing the likelihood that any one person's going to be able to grab 51%. And here's, here's another thing too, like, sorry to, to jump in, but in terms of human motivation, right? So the miners mine because they want Bitcoin. And what that means is they don't want to destroy the value of Bitcoin. So what they're going to do is they're going to have thumbprints and passwords to get into their mining rigs that, are, you know, if China threatened or there was anything or anybody heard anything like this, and you can't just do this like, like that, right? There'd have to be some rumors or something happening, right? And so what they would do is they would simply lock up their rigs because their Bitcoins are worth more than their rigs. So if you grab their rigs, you wouldn't be able to run them. They would, they would sabotage them. They would have them self-destruct because the Bitcoin that they hold is worth far more than their rigs, and they simply would not allow those rigs to be taken over. Now, if you wanted to buy and create all the rigs, that's a whole different matter, and you'd be competing with the world's best and fastest and most established rigs. So they just won't, uh, they won't let that happen. Uh, so Also, there's a new technology. I learned about it from Pirate Chase called Delayed Proof of Work where essentially you can use another blockchain to secure your blockchain. So for example, to take over Pirate Chain, you would have to have 51% of Pirate Chain and 51% of Monero and 51% of Bitcoin. So hmm. that's not happening. So even if this was a real threat, they could use this delayed proof of work scheme on like Ethereum or some other big cryptos to make that virtually impossible. Yeah. Also, if 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 they were actually if there was actually a chance of them being able to do this, I would think that they would already have been putting a lot of effort into that. They would like have the done fact, it when it was smaller, or when yeah. it went to eighty k, right? Yeah. Or the yeah. Or the, the the fact that they're they don't even talk about it. Like as far as I know, no government is really talking about going after. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's a little bit going on in China recently. But. Well, I mean, this has been a risk from day one. And so the smartest community in the world has had 11 years and, you know, a trillion dollars worth of incentives to deal with this. I'll, I'll bet on them rather than some numbnuts who didn't figure out Bitcoin uh, running some government node of, uh, on a ZX80. All right. Okay. So anybody else with some projectionies? Uh, we've, I've seen 100K of Bitcoin, uh, 100K value in Bitcoin by November. Is that something people are floating around? I'll make a prediction. By New Year's. Lucy, go. I think the prediction is going to be that Bitcoin by December 31st is going to be down to 10,000 uh, because as soon as people realize that there is no privacy, they're all going to buy pirate chain and my pirate chain is going to go up and I'm going to be rich and that value transfer is going to move. Pump those bags, Lucy. Pump those bags. That's Arr. right. Arr. And in fact, if you do have Bitcoin around Lucy later in the year, uh, watch your back. Watch your back. She strikes like a viper. Um all right, anybody else? I, I had talked about 100K by the end of the summer. I think that's going back a little ways. Uh, I'd push that back a couple of months, but uh, I'm still uh, very optimistic about the uh, the upside. Anybody else? 100K by end of year, and I think we probably will see 60K maybe December or November. Okay, all right. Now, yeah. end of year, is that uh, a tax thing? Is that just a convenience, right place around the sun kind of thing or something else? Uh, around the sun thing. I mean, if we really wanted to, I would say there would be the tax. What could people put it in for this year? <laughs> so next year won't be capital gains. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Is it going lower soon, do people, do people think? Is it's it going, going lower right now. 
It's going lower right now. <laughs> well, I know, but lower than this. It's been lower before, right? So. Uh, as we speak, it's I'm blaming, yeah, blaming the show. Stuff's causing it to go down. <laughs> yeah. I think we'll see a low like 25. All right. And then bounce up from there. All right. Well, listen, guys, really, really appreciate it. I'm sorry it took a, a while to get another one set up, but uh, a great pleasure to chat with you all. And uh, nice to meet the new people, Lucy and others who came by. A great pleasure. Uh, Lucy, you got uh, much better reviews than I did. So I will now uh, rage quit the entire show uh, out of petty jealousy. <laughs> Uh, no, that no, sounds people like a were great like, idea. Yeah, people, people are like, she's got a great radio voice. Bring her back. And if, it, you know, Steph, bring her back and you don't even have to be there. So that's uh, very nice. Good reviews for Lucy. And uh, thanks, everyone, so much. Uh, a great pleasure to chat. Have a wonderful, uh, wonderful evening. And uh, we will, uh, yeah, you know, shoot me emails. If you've got stuff that you want to, uh, if you've got stuff that's got, got uh, burning in your brain and you really want to, oh, my God, i got to get this out, just shoot me an email. We can set these things up. Uh, on a slightly more regular basis, but uh, this actually worked. Uh, so somebody says, no, it's nothing without Steph. Oh, thanks, Mom. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, okay, have a great <laughs> a great evening, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.